the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. There are four reasons why we as Christians should submit to the civil authorities in our nation. You ought to write this down, you ought to get this in notes, and you ought to uh, file it somewhere and remember this. Number one, and we're just going to lay it out before you as the Apostle Paul, led by the Spirit of God, did for the Christians at Rome. Number one, government is established by God. As Steve begins this new message from Romans chapter 13, we will see why it is that believers are to have respect for even the most corrupt governments. It is not an easy thing for us to do, so it is helpful if we understand the reasoning behind this mandate from God. Let's join Pastor Steve as he discusses these important foundational truths. In the Lord, as we open our Bibles to Romans chapter 13. Paul writes in Romans 13, 1 through 7, Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. I remind you that Paul opens up this section in Romans, beginning with chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which speak about the uh, presentation of ourselves to him. He says in verse 1, 1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then he says this, and do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't be molded into the, the world system. Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. Be different, he's saying. We who know Christ, we who are secure in Christ and understand all the implications of Romans 8, 9, 10, 11, which speaks of our security and the security of Israel and God's security for his people, we who understand that ought then to have the normal response of presenting ourselves to Christ. We are not to be conformed to this world. We are not to be like the world. We are to be different, and that implies relationships. That speaks that we are to be different in our attitude towards people. We are to be different in our relationships toward others. And so Paul begins to share how the Christian is different. He begins to explain, once you are committed to Christ, once you have presented yourself to him, therefore your life will be different in the way you respond to others. He says in verse 3, the first thing that will be different is that you respond 
with a different view of yourself. He says, for through the grace of God given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But he says to have sound judgment. In other words, he says that once you have uh, presented yourselves to Christ, now you are not to be conformed to the world. And the confirmation or being conformed rather to the world would be pride. The attitude towards ourselves is one of humility. A committed Christian looks at himself differently than the unsaved, than those who don't know Christ. The world looks at themselves and they think of themselves better than they really are. The Christian looks at himself and he sees honesty. He approaches it with humility. Then Paul goes on to say that the Christian has a different relationship with others. The world has a relationship with each other, which is based somewhat upon hatred and mistrust and uh, contempt. But he says the Christian is to love one another, not only love for other believers, but love for the world. And we saw, we've seen all of this in Romans chapter 12. This is just very quick review. That's really from verse 9 all the way to the end of the chapter, he deals with love. So he is really hitting home at this very thought that we are not to be conformed to the world. We are to do things differently. And then he comes to chapter 13, and in this chapter, the first seven verses, he tells us that our attitude towards the civil authorities, towards the government, is to be different than the world. Now, what is the average person's response an attitude towards the government. Let's face it, our world is a lawless world. It is a lawless world. In our country alone, in 1981, 41 million people were victims of violent crimes. And I would speculate that that is a lot higher now. But that's in our country alone. Now, what is a violent crime? A violent crime are such things as murder, rape, assault, that results in injury to a person such as a robbery that might result in injury. 41 million people in our nation in 1981 were victims of violent crimes. But there are other crimes not mentioned in this statistic. A lot of crimes that that, uh, don't even go noticed and certainly don't make it in this statistic. For instance, there are property crimes, unlawful acts uh, with the intent of gaining property without force. So it would not be categorized as violent. There were many of those, and that doesn't even come under the statistic of 41 million. There are drug abuse violations, the growing, manufacturing, the making, the the using, the possessing, the selling or distributing of narcotics and dangerous non-narcotic drugs. There are sex offenses which would not be listed in violent crimes. Some would be, but not necessarily all. There would be fraud offenses, drunkenness, disturbing the peace, which would be disorderly conduct, loitering, etc., and things like that. There would be gambling, embezzlement, fraud, smuggling, forgery, tax evasion, etc. We are a lawless people. And there are many things, as I said before, that would come under no statistic because nobody ever catches them. In fact, the motto of our world seems to be, it's all right to do it if you just don't get caught. Just don't get caught. Just don't be dumb about it. But here's where we as Christians have the opportunity to shine and be so different and have a good testimony. We Our people, Paul says, in essence, he is saying this, who ought to bend over backwards to obey the government and to be model citizens. Now, I want you to understand something. I don't think a model citizen means that we just don't do certain crimes. I don't think obedience to the government simply simply, uh, uh, would mean that we don't 
commit crime. Paul is speaking here, and Peter speaks of it, and other places in the Word of God speak of it. He's referring to attitudes. We are to respect the civil authorities, even if we don't politically agree with them. Or if we do politically agree with them, that's not the point. We are to respect them. We are to honor them. We are not to be bad-mouthing them. We are not to be complaining. We are not to be arrogant. We are not to be rude. We are not to come across as people who all they want to do is oust political figures. We are to be those who, whether we agree or not, ought to show the utmost respect. We are not to be lawless in attitude or in action. Rather, we are to exhibit a spirit of submission to the civil authorities. Now, that's what we began looking at last week. In fact, we took the whole message dealing with that that one phrase at the beginning of of verse 1, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. And the whole message last week was really a, a Bible study dealing with that very phrase and that very concept, and that is the response of submission. We are to be in submission to the government. Now, I said last week just the facts about it. We really didn't go into why. We didn't go beyond the, uh, the surface, behind the scenes, and explain why. Now, I find that in, in Bible study that usually, not all the time, but usually when God gives a command, a very direct, forward, blunt command, he usually explains the basis for that command. In other words, he doesn't usually just say, don't do this or do this. He explains the reason that's behind it. And that's what we want to do this morning, because in verses 1 through verse 5, Paul does explain the reasons for submission. Now, that's very important, because this will give you conviction. It isn't just a principle that you run with. There's a conviction there. It'll give weight and conviction to what we believe and why we ought to do what we ought to do. And after this message, you ought to understand uh, the very reasons for submission. That's what we want to do this morning. There are four reasons why we as Christians should submit to the civil authorities in our nation. You ought to write this down. You ought to get this in notes, and you ought to uh, file it somewhere and remember this. Number one, and we're just going to lay it out before you as the Apostle Paul, led by the Spirit of God, did for the Christians at Rome. Number one, government is established by God. The first reason that we are to submit to the government is because it's established by God. The end of verse 1 says this, For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. The institution that we call government, human government, was established by God, and it continues to be established by God. He is the creator of it. He is the author of it. It is not something that a majority of people invented and said, this would be good. This would be nice. This would fit what we need. No, it was God who gave Noah the authority to govern in his day. And you ought to see that in Genesis chapter 9. This is right after the flood. There was no human government before the days of Noah. Many, many, many years without human government. Roman, uh, rather, Genesis 9, verse 6, God says to Noah, first time this has ever been said in, in the Bible, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. Now he said to, to Noah, he said, in essence, Noah, I am giving you the authority to punish evildoers. If someone murders, their life ought to be taken. In other words, capital punishment. 
That is the first inkling that we have of human government. That is the first establishment of a human government. And it was God who has given authority to every government since that time to rule. God gives them the authority. All civil authority has been delegated by God. If you understand that, you'll grasp it. It is delegated authority. Government rules in the place of God. It stands in his place. He established it to govern mankind. Human government is as much a divine institution as the home is, as well as the church. Different purposes, different functions, but it is the uh, same type of divine institution. Now, that raises a very interesting question. Does God establish cruel and abusive governments? And I only ask that because I know if I don't deal with it and I walk out of here, you'll ask me that. Okay, that's a good question to bring up. Does God establish abusive and cruel governments? Is he behind them in the sense that he's responsible for their sin? It's very, very important to understand. Let's begin by answering that by hearing from the prophet Daniel. If you'll turn to Daniel in your Old Testament, Daniel chapter 2. Now, I remind you that Daniel was not just a prophet of God, but Daniel was a government official. The Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, he lived a long and very wonderful life. Great man of God, prophet of God, but he was also a government official. And Daniel, in first understanding the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar said a very interesting, says a very interesting thing in chapter 2, verse 21. And we don't really at this point need to even go into the context. Just understand that he is interpreting the dream and explaining uh, the answer. And it is he, Daniel says, speaking of God, who changes the times and the epics. He removes, now watch this, he removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. Daniel is saying it is God who establishes kings. It is God who takes away kings. It is God who controls who will be king and who will not be king. Then if you'll turn over to Daniel chapter 4, same Godly man gives us great insight into this very question of is God behind every government, whether it's a democracy or not? Is he behind dictatorship? Is he behind a monarch? Is he behind a tyrant? One of the key figures in the book of Daniel is King Nebuchadnezzar. There are many who believe that King Nebuchadnezzar eventually was converted, and that may well be the case. But before he had some type of spiritual experience. He was an ungodly man, a pompous, arrogant, rude man. And God says, in essence, I'm going to teach this man a lesson. I want him to know who really reigns. Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of the greatest empire up until that day. And so God's going to give this man a lesson in humility. This is called Humility 101. And he says in chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, God says this, let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the, of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order. Now, here it is. You understand what he's saying? For a period of time, Nebuchadnezzar is going to have a mental illness. He's going to think that he's an animal. 
In order, here's the purpose God says, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this into his life. In order that the living, and I think he refers here primarily to Nebuchadnezzar, the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind. And watch this. And bestows it on whom he wishes and sets it over the lowliest of men. In other words, God is saying, I'm sovereign. And when, when someone becomes a king, they are not to, to think that they did it because of their power or charisma or good looks or whatever, or because the people simply wanted them. God is saying, I want Nebuchadnezzar to understand that I rule. And if he's on the throne, it's because I put him there. And if he's off the throne, it's because I removed him. Now, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? God is simply predicting it will happen. In chapter 4, verse 29, we see that it begins to happen. Twelve months later, as he, meaning Nebuchadnezzar, was walking on the roof of the royal palace at Babylon, the king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? You understand that he's simply taking all the credit. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. So from Daniel's writings, we understand that God is totally sovereign, even with abusive governments. God is the one who raised up a Nebuchadnezzar, and he's the one who took him down for a time period. And he's the one who put someone in his place who wasn't any more godly than him, I might add. And then he also restored Nebuchadnezzar. That's in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Great passage in John's Gospel. Very, very, very important passage of Scripture that often goes unnoticed or overlooked. Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate is speaking to him And Pilate is getting annoyed with Jesus, and he says uh, in verse 10 of John 19, Do you not know that I have authority to release you and have authority to crucify you? Don't you understand, Jesus, he's saying, that I'm the guy who calls the shots around here. It's great what Jesus said. Jesus said, you'd have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Think about that. Pilate, you think that uh, you have authority over me? Listen, it is delegated authority. God has given you that authority. If God didn't give you that authority, you would have no authority over me. Now, Jesus didn't say that Pilate didn't have authority over him. Understand that. Here is is God in flesh saying to basically Rome, you have authority over me, but it's delegated. God gave you that authority. Was Pilate godly? No. He was a great coward. Was he a Christian? No. Was he a Democrat? No. Was he a Republican? No. No. God gave authority to Pilate and the Roman government. And I add, I might add, this was the same government that crucified the Son of God. There is no more atrocity in human history than deicide, a killing of God in flesh. So if you try to understand from the word of God, is God behind abusive governments in the sense that he establishes them? The answer is yes, yes. But does that mean that God is responsible for the injustices of the government? No. No, God is never responsible for anyone's sin. Let me illustrate it this way. When a husband abuses a wife, God has established the home. He's given that man authority. Is God behind that man's abusiveness? No. 
There's apostasy in the church. What happens when, when uh, the church apostatizes, when pastors teach false doctrine? Does that make God responsible for that? No. God has just given them delegated authority. God isn't responsible for the sins of tyrants, but their authority to rule comes from him. The home is still a, as a sacred institution, though it's been corrupted. The church is still a divine institution, though there is apostasy. So understand, God is not responsible for the sins of a Hitler, of a Khomeini, of a Stalin, of communism. Well, you say, well, why then does he allow them to exist? It's very simple. I mean, simple in the sense I can give you that answer. I don't understand at all. But simple in the sense that he's allowed human government to exist and corrupt people to be in positions of authority in order to accomplish his sovereign purposes. doesn't mean that God is responsible for their sin. Sometimes God establishes a corrupt government in order to punish the people. Back in the Old Testament, this same Nebuchadnezzar is called my servant. Nebuchadnezzar was not a believer, and yet God said he's my servant. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar was used of God to punish the people of Israel for their disobedience. Sometimes there is a valuable lesson that God wants to teach people. He wants to encourage them. And so he uses even a corrupt government. Haman was a man like that. Haman was uh, an anti-Semite of the 10th degree, and he's found in the book of Esther. And Haman was the, was the guy who wanted to exterminate all the Jews back then. Why did God allow him to come to office? God could have said, no way. I'm not going to put someone like that in office, but he did. Why? The lesson was this, to encourage the Jewish people that they could trust the Lord to protect them, that God would always protect his people no matter what. In fact, the Jewish people today, still today, celebrate the Feast of Purim, which is a yearly reminder that God watches over his people. They wouldn't have had that if Haman hadn't been the prime minister. What about in the modern sense of the case of an Adolf Hitler? Well, we certainly would never endorse that wickedness. But I'll tell you this, God used Adolf Hitler to bring about the modern state of Israel. The Jew was, was homeless. The Jew was turned away from the nations of the world. God used that situation to bring about Israel. Is God in control? Absolutely. Is God the one who even allowed Adolf Hitler to come to power? Yes. Could he have stopped it? Yes. Did he stop it? No. God had a purpose in it. I understand from some people who have been missionaries, who were missionaries for years in, in uh, Iran, which was known as Persia, that, that numbers and scores of people who they had witnessed to for years and years and years and never came to Christ are coming to Christ now because of the Ayatollah Khomeini and the, and the things that are happening in that nation. Is God behind that? Yes, in that sense he is. How about in the case of communism today? Do you know that the church in China and the church in Russia is far stronger than the church in America? Maybe not as large, but far purer, far stronger. No question about that. These pe- Listen, it takes commitment to be identified with, with God's people in those countries. I just received this week a letter, a newsletter from uh, Dr. Sela. Actually, I, I received a letter from him, but while he was here, he left me a newsletter about what's happening in the Philippines and the, the conflict with, with communism. And he speaks there about how God has used that to make the hearts of many people tender. So God, yes, is behind. God establishes even corrupt governments. In the case of Rome and Pilate, greatest thing came out of that. Jesus died for your sins and mine. 
You see, how or why a ruler comes to power doesn't determine our responsibility to submit to him. That's the point. It doesn't determine our responsibility to submit to him. Even when evil men seize power, he permits their reign because he has a purpose to fulfill even through their misrule. See, God has his hand in the political scene, even today. And he has his hand there to bring about his will, and he'll even use wicked rulers to do it, and yet not be responsible for their wickedness. As difficult as it may be for our minds to grasp the sovereignty of God, it should be a great comfort to every believer. Even if we can't understand exactly why God permits evil rulers to have authority and do wicked things, it is critical for us to embrace the fact that He is in control of even the most powerful governments. He has a good purpose in mind that will ultimately be fulfilled, even through corrupt governments. Thank you for joining us today on Verse by Verse. Our teacher, Steve Kreloff, has served since 1981 as the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His ministry has been effective because of his ability to carefully examine the scriptures and make practical application of the truths there. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Steve or about the Verse by Verse radio program, please call us at 727-239-0306. If we do not honor and obey our government and its ordinances, is it really a big deal to God? We'll find out on the next Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse Whatever ability we have is God's. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.